Welcome to the FFGF Podcast. We are a church located in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our mission is to know God and to make Him known. We pray this message blesses you today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or how to partner with us, visit us at fredfulgospel.com. Thanks for listening. All right, now, I'm going to be speaking... In, in some connection, I felt led to do this in prayer, but they've taken a chapter, and it's actually uh, Jeremiah 29 as their chapter for this conference that they've been having, and so I want you to turn to Jeremiah 29, and Pam's going to help us put the verses up if you don't have your Bible. How many are thankful for the Bible? Amen. Thank God we have the Bible in our country yet, and we don't know how long we might have that privilege. I hope it's forever, but I don't know. I, I, we should take advantage of having the Word of God, and I, I like to read the Bible. I like to see what's before it and after it as I go through the various passages, so I encourage you, you know, if you choose to, to bring a Bible uh, with you to church. All right, the title of my talk today is Go to God. Go to God in prayer. All right, and the reason I took that verse is I want you to first read with me verse 12. This is Jeremiah 29 and verse 12, and let's read that together, all right? It says, then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And so go is a very big part of our lives, right? When you have chest pain, and you think something's really the matter, you go to the doctor, all right? Where there's no food in your house and you're hungry, you go to the grocery store, all right? You go to work every day. When you really, really feel like pizza, you go to Brother's Pizza, the best pizza in Fredericksburg, all right? So we're used to going. And you know, it says in this chapter, because of what they're going through to go, the reason why we go to God is we're going through stuff. And there's no one here that's not going through something. And when you get over that, you might go through something else. But God wants you to go to him, and as you go to him, he will make a way. And so this passage is very interesting. The story in it is very interesting. Now, I want you to, you know, if I say something good, you shout out, praise God. I heard that. Because we're going to proclaim truth here. This is a wonderful chapter in the word of God that tells us about the children of Israel being in captivity. Captivity is when you're taken from your homeland and you are brought to another nation to serve that nation. You lose your family, you lose your home, you lose your own independence and you become a servant. And that's what happened to Israel in a period of its history. It's called the 70 year Babylonian captivity. For 70 years they were taken from their land and they were brought to captivity because because of their sin and some thought it would all be over but how many know with God it's never over how many know his mercy is greater than his judgment say it with me that's a big statement his mercy is greater than his judgment hallelujah he's always merciful and even when we get in trouble we're going to find in the story that was the only remedy to get them help was to get them into captivity he tried everything I'm going to prove that to you in just a few moments but I want you to look at Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to read verse 
4, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, which I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then he tells them, you know, you build houses, you have sons and daughters. God still had a plan. I thought it was interesting in verse 8, God speaks to them while they're there in captivity, and they're very discouraged about that. But God says, for thus saith the Lord, verse 8, the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to the dreams which, the, uh, which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. I thought that's interesting that there were some prophets there in Babylon that were telling them it's all over. God's finished with us. I guess it looked like that was probably going to happen. But God was not in giving up. God doesn't give up. God sticks to his job. And you're part of his job. And Israel was his people. And he was not going to forsake them in the midst of their trouble, even though they got there because of their own sin. And so I was thinking, this is so much like Satan. When you're in the midst of your trial, the enemy's going to tell you, oh, this is how it's always going to be. If you're sick, he's going to tell you, you're always going to have this sickness. Look at what the, you know, the doctors would say. Look at what the medical profession would tell you. How many know that miracles are not according to sense often? They are in the supernatural, and we are not bound by what should happen. We're bound by what God has done. And so we have to look away from discouragement. The enemy will always lie, trick, deceive, and make you to feel bad about yourself and your problem. But I'm thankful that God is a God of hope. There's always hope in Jesus. There's always a better tomorrow. Amen. So this is what the Lord says. He does tell them in verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. I'm going to bring you home. How many know there's no place like home? Was it just Dorothy that said that? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And you know, when you left your home, you left Fredericksburg, wherever you are, 70 years, it must have been some home to come back to. Needed a lot of work, a lot of renovation, but God was going to bring his people back, and they were going to do something mighty. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But look at it says here then, in verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because this is what God is to us today also. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. And not of evil to give you an expected end. If you look up those words, expected end, it means an end of victory. God is always working toward his victory. His victory in your life, no matter where you've been, what you've done. If you're in Christ, there's victory ahead. He makes all things new. He forgets the old from the east, from the west, and our sins. And he remembers them no more forever. And he makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And he's a winning of victory in your life for his name's sake. Because he wants to be glorified in his people. Old Testament and New Testament. God is the same. He knows the thoughts that he thinks toward you. Thoughts of peace. 
not of evil, to give you a victorious end. Hallelujah. Folks, I have always been a guy who likes to win. Are you with me? I don't like to lose. I don't like to try and strive and fall short. But I've lost a lot in my life. But I let a winner come in. And I'm going to win. And Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to win his victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. If you look at your circumstance, look at your problem, or listen to what Satan is telling you, you'll sink. If you look to Jesus, he will bring you through. And he will win his victory. That's why he died. That's why he rose. And by the way, you were crucified with him. And you've been raised with him. The victory is already won. Now we're going to talk about going and praying. But I want to say a little something before I read the next three verses. How important it is to recognize that I don't pray to earn God's love. He loves me already. I don't pray because I have to buy God. He wants your victory more than you want it. And it's not in my prayer that the victory comes. It's in his provision. He has won the victory. When he cried, it is finished. It was done. Your victory is purchased. God is on your side. He is for you. So I don't pray to beg God. We used to have a sister years ago who she'd get into trouble and she'd say, I got to go to God and do a little begging. And, you know, I, I felt her sincerity, and she was a woman of prayer. God helped her. But I felt sorry that she didn't really get it right. She thought she had to twist God's arm. You know what? I believe God's trying to twist our arm. I believe he wants to give us the victory. We don't have to beg him for the victory. We just go to Abba Father. Lord, your son, your daughter, I need help. And I ask in Jesus' name. And if we ask anything in his name, Jesus said, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Oh, I'm thankful we have a victorious call. I'm thankful for this family who gave his heart for the, to the Lord. Because everything's going to be better. Praise God. You know, Jesus is even good for teenagers, you teens. I know the world tells you it doesn't work that way. I know it says the world is so full of glitter and fun and excitement and being a church guy or woman, young person is boring. Yeah, I wasn't saved at four years old like Donna. I walked a little bit in the world. And I got to tell you, teens, you don't leave anything behind. You get everything that's good. You get a promise. You get a hope. You get a peace. You get a future. You get a whole body. And you got a God in heaven on your side. All right. That was just for the teenagers. All right. But we're all young. Just think you're going to live forever. You've not even begun yet. All right. Look at these verses. I'm going to read verse 12. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Read verse 13 and 14 with me, all right? And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations 
and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again to this place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Wow. Wow. So they're in this situation where even their prophets there are telling them, as I mentioned, it's not possible. And it wasn't possible in the natural. In fact, there has never been a conquered people that has been sent back to go to their own country and rebuild their country by their conquerors. It's never happened. In fact, God even saw this was a great miracle. He said, the day is coming that I won't only be known as the God who brought you out of Egypt, but I'll be known as the God who brought you back from Babylon. And man, what a story. We don't have enough time for this one today, so I'm just going to give you the icing on the cake. How many like icing? Pam has taught me to make icing with real butter. I like icing. But boy, this is some story. So we're going to just look at how God does this. And so the prerequisite for their coming back from captivity is prayer. And you say, well, you know, that's good, Pastor. But it applies to every one of us. Because your victory and you coming out of your captivity is through prayer. Now you say, well, I'm not in captivity. Oh, really? How many have maybe a young person in your family that's captive? Or maybe a sickness that is keeping you in captivity? Or maybe something in your life you know God wants to do and you can't get through yourself and you feel like you're in some sort of a captivity. We all, I think, go through seasons where we just feel we need a breakthrough. God is a God of breakthrough. And the principle we're going to learn about today is the same principle that will work in every one of your lives. And it's no, no surprise to me that the enemy has knocked out prayer, even in the evangelical, spiritual churches. You hardly have prayer meetings. I'm not here to brag, but we have five and then the pastors have three on their own. That's eight prayer meetings in this church every week. There's a reason why people are getting healed. We're not healers. We're prayers. We ask and we receive. We seek and we're finding. And guess what, devil? We're not stopping praying. We're going to pray more. We're going to pray till we have a full revival in this place. We're going to pray because I want to win. I want to see God win. How about you? I don't want any half-hearted, lazy church that just goes along and does the program. One person told me recently, I'm going to a church and the pastor's retired. I said, well, that's not me. I'm just starting. Hallelujah. I want to see Jesus winning us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Get a little fight. Win it for Jesus. Come on, Chris. Be strong. Oh, boy. He's strong. We're going to be strong in the Lord. We're going to see the victory of God. And that's exactly what happens. So you say to me, well, how was this worked out? How did this come into being? Well, I'm going to turn with you to the book of Daniel. And you're going to see how God works this out. You know, when a call like this goes out, not everyone always hears it. But thank God, there's some. Let us be those who hear. So in Babylon... There was a man who was royalty with three other friends. His name is Daniel. You know his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, 
in a bungalow, or my shack, your shack in a bungalow, and they're over there in Babylon, and they're captives. And history tells us they were royalty. These were chosen, choice, young people. They're again young people. And they were taken captives and brought from their home and brought to Babylon. And they were so wise, so smart, they were chosen to live in the palace and really get involved in the administration. But they had real, real sorrow about it. They missed home. They missed serving their God. They're in heathen territory. And I got a, something to tell you today that's outstanding. I'm looking at Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. And I'm going to tell you something about this verse. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, now listen to this, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Do you know that that passage that you just read with me from Jeremiah 29, verse 11 and 12 where the Lord says, 70 years, and I'm going to visit you, and you go pray, and I will loose you from your captivity and bring you home. Those were the same verses that Daniel read many, many, many years ago, all on his own. He read the same verses we read today, but he did something about them. Oh, boy. And all how important it is we respond to what God wants. And so here's Daniel. He's in captivity. He's an older man now. But he started walking with God as a younger man. You know it begins when you're young. And let's begin. In verse 3, this is what Daniel does. It says, 3 and 4, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer. And supplication, with fasting, and sackcloth, and ashes, I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confessions, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to, and to them that keep his commandments. And he repents for Israel. Look what he says in verse 5. We have sinned, and have committed iniquity. And we have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and thy judgments. Verse 6. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our priests, and to our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And that's exactly what Second Chronicles tells us, that God sent prophets to them, and they misused them. He sent his word, and they turned from them. And then they defiled the temple. The priests were backslidden. The people were backslidden. And it said God put up with them until there was no remedy. So he sent Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans, which are the same as the Babylonians. And he went, and he took the people. He destroyed the temple. He took the precious things that Moses had made. And you imagine the devastation. Can you imagine how God wept over his people? 
Folks, don't let it ever come to the place that God has to deal with you because you don't listen. There's no remedy. I've done everything. I've sent them pastors, churches, the word. And they hard their heart. And they reject my word. That's when we're in real danger, folks. Not when we're at the altar crying. The altar's not just for the sinner. It's for the saint. There's some things we got to get rid of. There's some victories God has before I stand before him. I'm after God with all my heart. You go after him. He will turn your captivity. Thank God for the Daniels. I often say in the church, we need Daniels and we need Daniels. Absolutely. The best prayers I have known is women. Thank God for them. They're powerful. They're strong. But God is a God of mercy. And thank God for the Daniels who give themselves to God. And I want to tell you how God honored this man. He continues his prayer because of time. We have to shorten it a little bit, but turn to verse 18. Look at the end of his prayer. He says, oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. You sense the earnestness in Daniel. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. Oh boy, he was smart. He knew how God loved that city, Jerusalem, the city of David. He knew how God built that temple and gloried in that temple. And so he says, Lord, remember thy people. Oh God, for thy city and for thy people which are called by your name. He cries to them. Now look at verse 20, folks. This is going to happen with you and all of us if we'll do the same thing Daniel did. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mount of Jerusalem. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, God did something. He sent the angel Gabriel and he touched me. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Daniel, I am now come for to give you skill and understanding. Look what it says in 23. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth and I have come to show thee. Do you know when you begin to pray, God begins to move? Sometimes there's a fight. Sometimes it doesn't get manifest right away. But as you call upon the Lord in the day of trouble, he says, I will hear thee and show you great and mighty things. Daniel prayed for quite a season. But when Daniel started to pray, the angel Gabriel comes. What a mighty angel, an archangel. He comes down from heaven and he talks to them. Don't look for angels, look for Jesus. But you know God works miracles. And God was going to work something big. And so Gabriel begins to speak to him. Now the thing that was on Gabriel's mind was only one thing. God let us go home. I saw in that book of Jeremiah, you said we'd go after 70 years. And he was there those 70 years and he knew the time was up. I want to tell you, you might have a promise of God. And then you say to yourself, oh, well, God, you promised. No, you have not because you ask not. You can't just have the promise in the book. You got to claim the promise. 
You got to go after the victory. You got to tell God what you want. Thank you. So, that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 25. This is Gabriel speaking to Daniel. He says this. This is kind of like a Bible study. I'm sorry. But I'm almost over. Amen. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be a certain time frame, which is kind of complex and I won't get into that. So I mentioned to you the only thing he was praying about was that Israel would be released from Babylon and go home and he was claiming the promise of Jeremiah. We got that? But what does the Lord say? The Lord says there's going to be an edict for you to go back and from that time unto another time, Messiah the Prince shall come. Why is that important to me? Because I want to relate to you something about prayer. When you pray, you get what you ask for and you get more. He wasn't thinking about the Messiah, but the greatest thing in God's heart was that Jesus Christ would come to his people. So he tells him, yes, Cyrus, the king, a heathen king is going to be raised up. God calls him in Isaiah 45, his anointed. He's going to raise, be raised up and he's going to let the people go. We're going to read that in closing in just a minute. What a mighty miracle that a heathen king, a king of the Medes and Persians, attacks Babylon and subdues it and kills Belshazzar. Belteshazzar dies that night. You remember what happened at Belshazzar's feast? The handwriting on the wall? Meany, meany, tickle you person. Your kingdom is numbered and given to another. And that night, Babylon was destroyed. Daniel stood and told the king what would happen, interpreted that handwriting on the wall. God was moving. When you start to pray, you're going to find God starts to move in. Things start happening. He wasn't praying for a heathen king to do this, but God knew that that was the only way. So Cyrus comes to office, and he gets in charge of Babylon. And I'm going to read to you what he does. I hope this tickles you. I hope it gets you begeistered. In German, that means excited. Cyrus is king now of Babylon. The people of Israel stood there, but Daniel's prayed through, say, prayed through. And you can pray through. And here's this heathen king, which God said was an anointed man to do my purpose. Ezra chapter 1, verse 2. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in, Jude, in Judah. And build the temple of the Lord, God of Israel. Now listen to this. This heathen king says, God, he is God, which is the God of Jerusalem. Did you get that? This king is raised up, lets the people go. Now in closing, I want to tell you, 
Cyrus is nothing other but a picture of Jesus Christ. He gives them money. He gives them provision. He gives them protection. And they go back and build a temple. He delivers them from their captivity. And he sends them back home to live free and to build the temple. Folks, Jesus has died to set us free. Jesus has died to deliver you from any captivity. Jesus has sent us home. And Jesus is building his temple within our lives. Amen. Thank God. And so in closing, go and pray. You know, our salvation starts with a simple prayer, doesn't it? How many know there'll be no one in heaven without one prayer? Lord, save me. It doesn't have to be a big prayer, great prayer. I love the prayer on the thief of the cross. He didn't have much understanding. He just knew he was a sinner and Jesus wasn't. He said, Lord, save me. It's not hard. You don't have to know the Greek and the Hebrew and a lot of spiel. You just need a heart. Lord, remember me. And the Lord said, this day, I will be with you in paradise. But then we just don't pray once, do we? We continue in prayer, the Bible says. We pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean 24 hours a day. That means habits of going and praying. Bringing yourself before God and letting him work out his wonderful plan in your life. And so today I thank God for this Bible story of how God worked and God still works and God will work in your life. And so I just want to invite anyone who feels there's some unfinished business. Doesn't mean you're in sin, doesn't mean you're bad. It's maybe a grandson or a grandchild or someone you're burdened, something in your family, something in your body. And maybe you just want to come and tell him you're thankful that he's delivered you from captivity. But I want the Fredericksburg full gospel to know, and God wants me to say that, that he is on your side. And the best is before you and Jesus. Don't stop and don't listen to the eyes of the enemy. You go and pray. And the best thing about it too is the Lord says, and I will be found of you. How many want a greater finding of Jesus? You see, the prophecy was to go home, but he says unto the Messiah, the priest, Prince, when you pray, not only is he going to answer your prayer, but Jesus Christ is going to be revealed in a greater way to your life. And you're going to walk in something of an authority that you didn't know before you went through that trial. Israel was never the same from this point on. Never went back to idolatry because they recognized what God had done for them. God bless you. Let us all stand, all right? Amen. Now I'm going to give an invitation like we do to the altar. Because the altar is the place of power, folks. You remember I preached, you know, the title was Go to God in Prayer. How about you come? It's not a long walk. 
and we begin to just bring our need to God and just ask God for deliverance, a freedom. Come on, let's come. And you don't only have to come for yourself, maybe a loved one, maybe someone you're praying for, someone that has need in your family. Come and let's pray that God will set free. Praise God. I want John Gordon to sing that chorus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Because there is.